but this show will continue to help you understand the things that affect your health while looking for unexpected discoveries along the way. It will also explore thought-provoking ideas and questions, like this one. So Alzheimer's is kind of an interesting topic. I, I still keep hearing nobody's found the cause of it yet. Um, I, I'm not sure there is a, the cause uh, relative to that. And and in our observation, we do a lot of chronic pain. That's what we do. For those of you who haven't seen us, we combine functional medicine and functional neurology to create a paradigm to address kind of the cornerstones of physiology that seem to be um, the core of what causes chronic conditions, chronic pain in general. And so if a person comes in here, let's say with fibromyalgia, it's, it's pretty common that they're going to have brain fog and short-term memory loss. And, and if people come in here and they're in PTSD, they're, they're going to have short-term memory loss. They're going to have, they're going to have, uh, uh, difficulty sleeping and, and things of that nature. They're going to, but, but, a substantial portion of our patients come in here with short-term memory loss and brain fog uh, and, and other things that, you know, have that nuance of, is this Alzheimer's? Is, is, this, is this an Alzheimer's type of thing? We have seen Alzheimer's patients, uh, but more often we see people who would seem to me to be in the process of going in that direction. So it's of interest to us to know what's going on. Um, and, and so this is... Uh, uh, something that is that is, is, is it, it's enveloped uh, in 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 that core of of conditions and and of um, of problems uh, chemical problems chemical pathways neuronal pathways systemic problems that cause um, chronic problems chronic pain fibromyalgia peripheral chronic fatigue dizziness vertigo balance a lot of these things it's interesting how they kind of overlap. So I'm just giving you our background on Alzheimer's. We're not like an Alzheimer's center per se, but we see aspects of the beginnings of Alzheimer's literally every day, mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or if that's an exaggeration, then maybe every other day <laughs> or every third day or something like that. But it's a big part of our practice. So yeah, we have a lot of patients that come in maybe for something else, and then they have a parent with Alzheimer's. And, you know, lots of times they won't be they're not going to talk about that as their main issue. And once you do start the discussion, you realize how afraid they are of going on to develop right. yeah. Alzheimer's. And uh, it's really their brain. You know, maybe they came in with neuropathy or thyroid problem, but then they're like, really, it's my brain. My brain is my biggest concern because I'm forgetting words. I'm walking to rooms when I don't know why I'm there. I'm forgetting people's names. You know, I can't remember people's names. And it's highly disconcerting to them, but lots of times they're just trying to cover it up so nobody notices. And there are a couple of classification uh, yeah. uh, classifications of, of uh, paradigms of, of how to tell people you might have Alzheimer's. One one of them, I would argue that stage one is like if you're breathing, you, you have Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's like it's like seriously, it's like I forget what it is, but it's like everybody's got that right uh, over the age of like six. <laughs> But, uh, but the point is, is that there's not a lot of testing. People look at MRIs, they see the plaque, things of that nature. So Dr. Gates, uh, who is our R&D department uh, here, uh, is, has a high interest in staying on top of that. And he wanted to share with us today some of the data on new data on possible testing for Alzheimer's. Uh, I was actually just sharing with him before we got on. There was a blurb uh, last week on the uh, health websites of 
finding a cure. That's what they use. That was the term they use for Alzheimer's uh, in mice, in mice, a drug. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, and, and we have our, our, I think we've talked about Alzheimer's online before. We have our perspective on how it gets started, where it gets started, all the different factors that, uh, that contribute to it. So you can look at that and then kind of correlate that with what Dr. Gates maybe is going to go through today. But um, new testing possibly to maybe let those people know who are afraid that they might be developing Alzheimer's, whether they're afraid or not, or is it even that accurate that you'd want to talk about that you that that would be used or maybe you can give us the background on that in your opinion Mm -hmm. yeah so with alzheimer's the basic um, neurophysiologic process that occurs in the brain is something called a beta amyloid plaque dr rutherford references reference the plaques and they're called specifically a beta amyloid plaque with neurofibrillary tangles just think if you had a your house and then the two by fours that hold up your house, just think of like the two by fours started like warping together, started folding in. Pretty soon you don't really have a house. You can't really walk through it. That's what's going on in your brain cells with Alzheimer's. Preferentially, there's a lot of uh, these plaques in the memory area of the brain, the frontal lobes. And so because of that, you start to lose your executive function. You don't remember, you can't make memories, so on and so forth. Now, just dovetailing into what Dr. Rutherford said in our other videos in terms of what kind of sets this into motion, there is a ton of research associating this with blood sugar disorders, whether it's frank diabetes or prediabetes, systemic inflammation, pieces of bacteria floating in from the gut into the bloodstream, or bacteria that are actually living in your bloodstream, not causing a systemic reaction like septicemia, but they're living in an indolent fashion, but still causing some immune activation to them, which is therefore promoting inflammation that then goes into the brain and sets into motion these biochemical cascades along with the blood sugar issues where you just start developing these plaques. Now, there is a genetic predisposition. That's the APOE4 allele that can be tested for. So if you do have a parent or an uncle with Alzheimer's and you're concerned, you can clearly go and have that genetic testing done. Now, we mentioned the beta amyloid plaques. So there is a blood test for amyloid beta that you can run in a standard lab test. And this came under a lot of scrutiny for a while because... The argument is, okay, you're testing for amyloid beta protein out here in your bloodstream. Well, does that really reflect what's going on in your brain? And a new article came out just recently saying it actually does correlate with a high degree of specificity and sensitivity. So we wanted to bring this up because you're going to start seeing more doctors use this blood test for deciphering if it looks like you're moving towards Alzheimer's or if you have minimal cognitive impairment, which is kind of the pre-Alzheimer's condition. And it's a good thing because we're, now we have more data and more tools in our arsenal to say, okay, you know, Joe or Jenny, it looks like you're going down this path that's not so good. And potentially that can kind of wake people up to start executing the lifestyle changes. I know that I went to a talk, this was even before I met you, this is eight plus years ago by a gentleman who worked at the Cleveland Clinic in their Alzheimer's unit. And he was saying basically at that point, the only thing they knew to tell people to do was to exercise for like 30 minutes a day. And based on the current information, you should be doing more. You have to have your blood sugar under really, really tight control and all inflammation, highly, highly, highly controlled. Because we do have people that come into this clinic with this concern. And we are like Nazis and trying to get their blood sugar into a very, very tight range. And we 
just in our experience with the properly selected people, we've seen some dramatic changes in these patients. And I don't know if there's anything better than giving somebody their memory back, because as one of our colleagues said, you can replace a hip, you can't replace a hippocampus, you can't replace the memory area of the brain. So you got one brain, you got to take care of it. So that's kind of the story. Okay. Okay. So new testing, I think that is good because again, like you say, a lot of the people come in and they have, they have the parent, they have the uncle, they have the brother and they're like, oh right. my God, they're terrified. Sometimes if you, if, if you would give them that test and could tell them, yes, you're going that direction. Yes, that would be cool. That could give them the, uh, uh, that could give them the incentive to go in the right direction, but also stress hormones probably contribute to Alzheimer's too. Mm-hmm. And if the person's not going in that direction if, and the, Maybe it would relieve a lot of their stress, although then if they got a crappy lifestyle, then maybe that would discourage them from changing. But you can handle that at that point in time. It does give you one more tool in the toolbox to have that conversation is the point. And I think it's important because Alzheimer's is like, you know, it's, it, Alzheimer's like autistic spectrum disorders now. It's, it's, it's pretty common. And uh, it's... it's uh, that's not something I think anybody wants to go there. So, and there's a lot of discussion how this could potentially bankrupt our uh, healthcare system because you have this the huge, Alzheimer's. yeah, we have yeah. all these baby boomers who now are late sixties, early seventies, basically, and they're right on the cusp. And a lot of them are not the healthiest bunch, so to speak, from a metabolic perspective. A lot of pre-diabetes, a lot of diabetes in this group, and so Alzheimer's researchers are highly, highly concerned because you know you can have Alzheimer's for ten. Years, as long as the rest of your organ systems are doing well, and that means you're going to have to be in a long-term care facility. Those are extremely expensive. Yeah, and um, and yeah, and I think we should also hit on um, head injuries too, as it pertains to some memory loss here today too. And they can, and and before you get into that, they can get that test at their doctors. The amyloid beta protein, or is yeah, it's a is it something that's out there now? It's out there now. I believe you can get it through LabCorp. Neurologist or GP, their GP, their GP could order it. The neurologist could order it. Yeah. Okay. And going on what you said relative to this new cure that they're talking about in rats, the standard mainstream treatments of um, basically the acetylcholine receptor inhibitors and, or excuse me, acetylcholine esterase inhibitors for Alzheimer's are not extremely effective for the most part that people are like raving about them. So the medication approach has not been astounding. So with this, I think it's also important to bring up head injuries because that's a lot of the discussion right now in the Alzheimer's world. We have this whole entity of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We see a lot of concussion patients who are worried, am I going to go into Alzheimer's? There certainly is the possibility of that. There certainly is the possibility of a, a significant overlap between the effects from head injuries and the memory disorder associated with CT and that of Alzheimer's. So just know that they're finding with these head injuries, that same kind of biochemical process I described is going on, except it more involves a protein called tau, called phosphorylation of tau. And there's also a strong inflammatory component that seems to be perpetuating this CTE process as well. So a lot of it comes down to inflammation. So if you know somebody who's had a lot of head injuries, you really want to talk to them about their inflammation also. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to impart? No. no. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. All right. So this is important. You want to know how to get better. Now there's going to be some nuggets in here that are going to help some of you. There's going to be some of you are like, you know, throwing spitballs (laughs) at your, at your screen going, wow, this guy's like an idiot. But 
I'm telling you, these are the basics of how to get better. And if you bypass these, plus the ones we're gonna be talking about over the next week or two, you are gonna have a hard time getting better at all. And if you get better, you're gonna, have, you're gonna be the person who has to keep doing it over and over and over again, because there are things that are Sabbath. So wrap up this week's presentation. And, and um, I'm here to educate you. We're here to try to answer the questions that we've had over the last you know, six or seven years or eight years or whatever it's been. And, um, and so please do that. So until next week, uh, I hope you, uh, if you're, if you're enjoying this, then, then, you know, please don't miss next week. Next week is kind of a big, big deal in most people's, uh, uh, journey to wellness. So, okay. That's it for this week. Thank you for watching again and, uh, take care. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.